the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning, San Diego Saints. We are back. I'm going to do a uh, follow-up a little bit on what we learned um, last time, a little review, and then we'll get right into it. Uh, the last time we were together, uh, we talked about what is the definition of eternal life. And we said what it wasn't, which was to transportationally go and uh, after we die, we get to go to a place in the ethos um, uh, versus eternal life in the biblical sense. Uh, we studied John fourteen six. Um and John seventeen three fourteen six says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. Um, it's interesting that we did talk about everyone thinks heaven when they see that verse, but um, to correct the record and going back to the, to the Bible and the Scripture and see what it says, it doesn't say um, no one gets to heaven but by me, but it says no one gets to the Father but through me. And uh, then we jumped over to John seventeen three, and we defined what is eternal life. And um, Jesus there, this is the night before he died, he's, his last um, prayer time with the apostles, and he says, and this is eternal life. It, it doesn't get any more clear than this, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. So we discovered and discussed last, uh, last Sunday on the 4th of September uh, that no, in that sense, was not so much a Greek uh, rational mind knowing about green, agreeing with facts, uh, knowing about God, but we uh, explored the idea of knowing being a relational uh, knowing from the heart a, of intimacy. And, uh, and then we jumped over to the other place that eternal life is defined, which is in John twelve fifty, and it basically says, um, and this is eternal life. This is the command of my Father. The eternal life is the command of my Father. So let's, let me just read that uh, right out of the Scripture, jumping over to John twelve fifty, and we see, actually beginning at 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority. This is a red letter edition, New King James. Um, these are the words of Jesus. But the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Here it is, verse 50, John twelve fifty, And I know that his command is eternal life. So we talked about eternal life also being defined again in the book of John. In uh, John ten ten, where... Jesus says, I have come that they have, may, may have life and have it more abundantly. And it was interesting because we'd also discussed that if eternal life is knowing God, it is something that can be measured, something that can be variable. And we even talked about a, um, a vessel holding water, that uh, we are the ones who actually have our hands on the lid of the water container, and we can turn on the spigot or we can shut it off. And so eternal life is something that is experienced in the here and now. It's relational. Uh, We talked last time that it's not transportational, but it's more of um, an experience which is transformational based on our experience with God, to know him intimately, and therefore it's 
relational. Eternal life is a relationship, not a transportation to a location. Okay, so that's review. Uh, We also uh, talked about, well, if eternal life is knowing God, per John 17, 3, we talked about, well, how do we know that we know God? And so I I think I gave you the shortcut of, if you can remember 1, 2, 3, 4, um, it's easy to recall. It's First John, that's the one. Uh, chapter 2 in First John, that's the two. And then it's verses 3 and 4, and those are the verses in First John 2, 3, and 4. And basically it says this is how we know that we know God, and again, we're defining eternal life. And it says, verses 3 and 4, if we keep his commandments. And that's consistent with what we just uh, saw in John twelve fifty that I know, and this is Jesus, and I know that his command is eternal life. So again, that's consistent with uh, the definition that obeying God uh, has a definite connection as to whether we are experiencing uh, eternal life in a relational basis with God. All right, and um, we talked a little bit about how this concept of why do people think that um, basically the goal of Judeo-Christian walk uh, and that um, salvation is basically a transportational um, experience to the ethos, to the ethereal world, to heaven, if you will. And we talked about whether there was too much emphasis on uh, heaven versus the original um, goal of what God did in Genesis 1 and 2 when he designed creation. And we asked the question, um, why or how did this concept that uh, anything in the material world, our experience, and anything that you can touch, uh, feel, taste, hear, uh, is basically considered bad by the Gnostics? The Gnostics were those in the Greek world as the after the diaspora took place in 70 AD. Um, there was a Greek concept, and it was all about the rational mind, Greek thinking on a linear basis, and going from a we discussed that the Gnostics believed that there was a defective second level of, of gods that created the earth, and they were called the Demerge, and uh, they were considered to be defective, second string, if you will, gods. And anything that they created would have, by definition, also have been defective, and the Gnostics believed that the Demerge um, created the earth, and therefore it was also defective. Problem is, uh, if we're teaching in our churches that the goal is to simply get away from earth and uh, leave your body behind and basically live as a spirit in heaven for eternity, and that's what we define as eternal life, the problem with that is when you say the material world is bad as they as the Gnostics believed, and only the spiritual world was good as the Gnostics believed, um, well, the problem is that contradicts God's opinion. Um, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, and uh, looking into also uh, Genesis chapter 2. At the end of Genesis Genesis chapter 1, he says very clearly in verse 1, 26 through 28, he looks over all of the creation, and he's checking it out. He's seeing what what he has created, and he issues um, a declarative opinion as he looks it over. And I think it's, let me look at here real quick. It's uh, actually Genesis one thirty one. Then God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. Now notice it didn't say just good. It said very good. And it's talking about, the, contextually, the earlier verses talking about creating man in, his, in God's image and in his likeness, creating the animal kingdom and creating everything that he created over the earlier six days in the material world. So, um, so we have a problem. The Gnostics... Uh, and Gnosticism that crept into the early church that uh, disconnected from its Hebrew roots um, in the early 4th century uh, was getting very, and I use this word, it does not exist in the dictionary, but very Greekified because the Hebrew gospel was um, going into a Greek uh, world of Greek philosophy, Greek religion, Greek gods. And um, the Gnostics were able to come in the back door and the side door and underneath the, the floorboards. And unfortunately, um, a lot of what is a Hebrew story with Hebrew covenants, with a Hebrew Messiah to come and deliver um, us from an invading um, rebellion, spiritual rebellion that took place in the heavens, 
as we see that in uh, Isaiah uh, 14 and uh, Ezekiel 28. We studied briefly about that last week. And um, things started to shift over about a two or three hundred year period where we be- the gospel became less and less of a Hebrew uh, prototype to- for the nations to be blessed and to learn from to go into a Greek linear uh, concept of uh, Greek influence on several level levels culturally and religiously, etc. Okay, so that is a review of what we did last week, and so I want to now shift gears and come in to follow up with some more definitions on eternal life. Now we know that eternal life is knowing relationally, personally, Father God and His Son, whom He sent, per John seventeen three. And what's interesting is. Um, if if that is a relational concept, if the question became, well, when can you experience eternal life? Do you have to wait for a future event like your death? Um, we explored that if eternal life is a relationship, it really is not dependent on a future event taking place, such as our death and waiting to be transported to heaven. If it's relational, then it's uh, it can be experienced in the here and now. And it, it is talking about learning how to speak with God, learning how to listen to God, learning how to spend time with God, learning how to seek God out. And so as you go through Scripture, um, especially let's go over to the New Testament, looking at some verses about where eternal life, the words eternal life, show up again in Paul's writings. Um, let me take you over to uh, the epistle to Timothy and... I believe this is where we're going to start talking about the concept of laying hold of something. And um, let's see, 1 Timothy 6, let's start at verse 12. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, and Paul writes to Timothy. Now notice where the words eternal life show up here. Okay, it says, so fight the good fight of faith. Next, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Um, now, lay hold on something. If you picture somebody, let's say you're in a crowd and you want to get somebody's attention, let's say you see something of danger or something that they should maybe be aware of and you want to get their attention but it's loud and they can't hear you, you might want to touch their shoulder or, or tap them you know, or <laughs> grab them by uh, maybe the back of their neck or something because they can't hear you, you're going to lay hold of them. You're going to grab them. And and here Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's saying this concept of eternal life, which again, let's go back to John seventeen three. It's knowing God, Father God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent, knowing in a heartfelt way, in a relational way, in an intimate way. He is saying you have to lay hold on this. This is not something where... Eternal life is something where we die, leave our human body behind, and then we go to this other place called heaven, and that's where we're going to exist or live eternally, and therefore that's eternal life. That isn't the biblical definition. Take a look, say in the same chapter, let's flip over to verse 19, actually do 18 and 19. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. Here you go that they may lay hold on eternal life. So lay hold again shows up in the second, for the second time in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. Going back to verse 12, notice it says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life in verse 12. If, if dying and going to heaven and living in heaven forever in a spiritual sense um, was, were the goal, um, why would Paul say fight the good fight of faith? In other words, there's something that has to be engaged here. There's something that has to be, uh, you have to be involved with. You have to, in essence, roll up your sleeves and participate. You have to roll up your sleeves and invest yourself, invest your time, invest your energy, lay hold on eternal life. Okay, now he talks about it again. There's in the um, other epistle that he writes, take a look at the, let's go over to Philippians uh, chapter 3 and... Here we go. And let's take over. Uh, take a look over at verse 8. Yet, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Again, not knowing about, but relationally knowing him, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain 
Christ. Now, notice he didn't say may I, that I may gain heaven. It wasn't the goal. The goal is not a location in Judeo-Christian experience. The goal is a relationship. We did not lose heaven in the fall in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. What we lost was our relationship with our Father, and Christ was sent as a bridge to bring us back to the Father. We, we studied that last week in John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He didn't say no one gets to heaven. He said no one gets to the Father. So here, Paul is saying he counts all things as loss that he may gain Christ. He didn't say gain heaven. Now look at verse 9. And be found in him, not of having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. The Jewish Bible oftentimes substitutes the word faith for trust, which sometimes we think faith is a mental agreement with facts, but trust is a deeper experience of faith because now we're talking relationally. Trust is a much more deep concept, and I think I prefer the complete Jewish Bible um, approach to that. And now look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So, in essence, he's saying I count all of the things in the world as of as loss if I can just know him. He, okay, again, what is eternal life? Let's go back. That I may know him. Let's go back to John seventeen three, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and that's Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So here, Paul in verse ten of Philippians 3, is saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, again, relational, being conformed to his death. Verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may Lay hold. Here we go again. Now we're in a different book. This is Philippians. The concept of laying hold comes up again. I'll read it from beginning verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. That's a relationship. That is the relationship. That's the very thing that John 17, 3 is talking about when it defines eternal life. So uh, let's go on. Let's just contextually, just, just take a quick look at verses 13 and 14 in Philippians 3. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, 14, and I press forward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So if the goal of the Christian life is to simply die and go to a place called heaven, um, and we, you know, we just do that with a statement of faith or stating the four spiritual laws, you know, um, at a Billy Graham uh, crusade or, you know, listening to a TV uh, evangelist, why is Paul... Does he not understand? <laughs> Paul is talking about counting things as losses. He's talking about pressing on so that, again, that he may lay hold. And then in verse 14, may I press toward the goal of the, of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's all relational. And the lesson is basically that we have to understand that eternal life is a relationship with God which requires everything we've got. I have a question for you. Uh, our initial salvation experience, was that, should we consider that to be kind of a, a diploma or is it more of a gift of an opportunity? It's a free gift because we can't earn initial salvation. We know that. We can explain that to the unsaved in just a couple of minutes. But here's the question. Should we treat initial salvation, being the free gift that it is, um, as a scholarship 
or a diploma. In other words, Paul is, in essence, explaining in the verses that we have studied earlier with lay hold of and fight the good fight, and if by any means I may attain, and that I press on, and um, forgetting those things left behind, I'm reaching forward, and I'm pressing towards the goal. It's like, wait a minute, Paul. If what the church teaches today, which is salvation is simply making a statement of faith and you get a ticket and then basically it's done and you don't have to do anything else. What is Paul talking about? I mean, does Paul not understand um, that the free gift of salvation? And my question is, if salvation is a scholarship, a scholarship is oftentimes free. Can't, uh, scholarships are handed out all the time, and a lot of them are free. Um, and the question is, what's the purpose of the scholarship? Is it so I can parade around and, and basically show the scholarship, or is a scholarship intended to invest myself, my efforts, my attention, my love, my dedication, my investment of energy in my uh, life, my love, my emotions, uh, towards something greater to get a diploma. When graduation day rolls around, wouldn't we look silly if we basically had our free scholarships in our hands and we went around uh, after four years and basically held up and said, we have a scholarship. But graduation day is about the issuance of diplomas, of a diploma. In other words, in the four-year interim, the individual who got a free scholarship, it's expected that they're going to dedicate themselves to the goal. And is the goal to die and go to a place, or is the goal to, to basically relationally, emotionally, intimately know the Godhead? Father God, Messiah Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. No, K-N-O-W. And if it is, then maybe that's what Paul's talking about. This concept of eternal life has to be pursued with everything we've got. It, it's not something where you give a ticket and say, you know, go see, sit in the bleachers and, or go sit on the sidelines and don't participate in the game. You have to roll your sleeves up and say, I have to take the cellophane off the, off the textbooks. I have to study. I have to participate in the educational process of how do you know God relationally. So that's the question. Is initial salvation, should it be considered a scholarship or it's, uh, towards a diploma or is this scholarship self-contained? We'll come back after the break and do part two. Looking forward to it. God bless. Did you know that the Simple Truth Moment Show features a website where you can access previous podcasts of the Simple Truth Moment Show? Also, previous radio shows, sermons, lectures, sponsored events, books, and publications, along with the blogs by the author and broadcaster, Reverend Earl Clampett of the Simple Truth Moment Show. Just type in www.simpletruthministries.net and click onto the media page and the book publications page. You will learn so much more on how the kingdom of God ways are impacting our current Gentile church culture to rediscover our Hebrew covenant roots and God's blueprint plans to bring together both Jew and Gentile into one new humanity in Messiah Jesus and Father God. It will be a life-changing journey you will not soon forget. So type in www.simpletruthministries.net. It's not .org. It's not .com. Remember .net. God bless. Well, welcome back. We're talking about what does Paul mean when he says lay hold of eternal life. I wanted to use one example before we move on uh, of laying hold 
of life. And I think a good example if uh, something we find in the Gospels in Mark chapter 5, going over to verse 25, we're going to talk about the woman with the issue of blood. And I'll just read it out of the New King James. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and she had suffered many things from many physicians, and she spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, this is verse 27, Mark 5, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Verse 30, and Jesus immediately knowing in himself, now notice, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? 31, but his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? Verse 32, and he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what she, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. Now, I just want to talk about laying hold This woman was desperate. She had spent her money. She had trusted in the physicians of the day to fix her. And she was out of resources. She was out of ideas. She was out of of opportunity. And she thought, all right, I am going to work my way through the crowd in that she came from behind Jesus. But she knew, I want to use this term that Paul was using, if she were to lay hold on the clothes of Jesus, probably his talit at the time because, you know, Jesus was a rabbi, that she knew because of the stories that she was probably going to experience something. And she did. But she was desperate. She was out of ideas, out of solutions that, physicians were offering to her, and she was out of money. And so she tried the world's ways of finding an experience of life. And I just use this as a sample of laying hold on something. She was determined. And the level of trust, the level of trust that she had that if she could only lay hold on on the fabric, on the clothing of, of Jesus, that was going to take care of the plague that she had been suffering of her affliction long term. So that's the sort of way I think we should uh, approach with desperation to get to know relationally Father God and Jesus Christ whom he sent, as we see in John seventeen three. Okay. So let's move on to the next uh, aspect of another dimension of what is eternal life. Um, flipping over to Matthew seven thirteen in the Gospels, um, Jesus is going to bring up this term himself, eternal life. And when, when this, I've heard this preached, and over and over again, the preaching is eternal life is the Greek way of looking at this, the Gnostic way of looking at this. It says, to die and go to heaven. But check out verse 13 um, in Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 13. And look for the words and listen for the words, eternal life. So this is Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate for Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, 
and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, again, I have heard over and over that when Jesus is saying eternal life, um, when I've heard preachers preach this of Matthew seven thirteen, they invariably say, "Well, we're talking. He's talking about how do you get into heaven?" But let's just stick with the scripture, and we're building on precept by precept. If eternal life is knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent, knowing relationally, I want to read the, the um, complete Jewish Bible version of Matthew seven thirteen. Go in through the narrow gate, for the gate that leads to destruction is wide and the road broad, and many travel it. But it is a narrow gate and a hard road that leads to life, and only a few find it. If eternal life is dying and going to a place by simply repeating um, with your initial ex- salvation experience the four spiritual laws, or Romans ten nine and 10, and we believe that's it, uh, it's a transportation experience as opposed to a relational experience. Um, there's some questions that come up. Why, then, would be life, in that sense, be narrow? Or the, gate, or the, the road that leads to it, why would it be narrow? And, and it says the road itself is difficult. Well, what did we just study about laying hold on eternal life in what Paul was writing in in First Timothy, in Philippians 3? What is the type of dedication and investment that Paul is saying that he wants to relationally know Christ? And he's willing to say, Everything else is just considered rubbish. He's going to fight a good fight that he may lay hold of. And, you know, there are other uh, verses that I'm not going to take you to right now, but, you know, Paul also said he, you know, he's, he's in a race. Run the race to win. Well, if we just went to a uh, campaign rally, you know, a tent rally, and I I said I invited Jesus into my heart, and he forgave my sins, and that was it, and I'm just waiting to die and go to a place. These verses of Paul fighting a good fight or Paul running a race to win uh, or he, that he beats his body uh, to, to keep it under control, I mean, you know, it's, it, sarcastically I'm saying this, you know, does Paul not know um, <laughs> the evangelical message that the modern church uh, preaches? And we got to get back to the Bible and ask if life is hard to get because the road is difficult, and Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, 13 and 7, 14, there are only a few that find it. Why is that? And if it's a relationship, if you have a relationship with when you're courting, let's say, um, your wife, or when the, you... <laughs> It takes time and investment and, t- and um, commitment to know a person. And the more you get to know them, the more intimate you become, the relationship deepens. I want to take you to just stay right where we are in Matthew 7. And this is kind of a warning. This is why knowing what life is and how to attain it um, using both Paul and Jesus as an example and saying that's the goal. Eternal life, knowing God, is the objective. That's the target. That is what we're going after. And it's this way that leads to life. But look, I want to show you, this is kind of an unnerving um, series of verses in the same chapter. Uh, let's go on down to Matthew 7.21. I call this the Matthew 7.21 crowd. Now, 
a lot of people hope that this message is to unbelievers, but ask yourself contextually, is Jesus talking to unbelievers here or people that um, have um, basically, they are believers. So let's start Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but, rather, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Okay, so you remember, stop right there. One of our earlier definitions from last week was John twelve fifty. The command of my Father is life. So we're bringing in another element here. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, you want to enter into the kingdom, but the, the standard, the yardstick, the ruling uh, measurement, if you will, that's being used is whether we're doing the will of my Father. Well, if you're doing the will of the Father, keeping his commands in John twelve fifty, that is life by definition. Now let's jump on down to verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now we just stop and look at that verse. Um, unbelievers do not, first of all, they won't say Lord, Lord, but second of all, they're not prophesying in the name of Jesus. They're not casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and they're not doing many wonders, signs and wonders in his name. So these, looking from the outside in, these are the heavy hitters. These are the kind of the all-stars. These are the ones that are operational and saying, wow, you know, how can we uh, replicate them and imitate them? But then the zinger is the next verse, verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Wow. I never knew you. Well, what's the result of hearing that? And next he says, depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Now, can you imagine the shock on their face to say, we were doing all the stuff. We were doing all the glitz and the hype and all, and all the stuff that supposedly was evidence of who we, who we were, who we are. And see, this concept of eternal life being relational, isn't it interesting in verse 23 that the Lord says um, relationship is knowing someone? Again, what's John seventeen three say? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And Jesus is, is saying here as your Lord, I never knew you. And the dismay and the shock to them must have been like a bulldozer just smashing over their their new car. And if knowing God and being, you know, attached to God and in union with with Him and connected to Him, and and that's life with Him. In verse with Jesus in verse twenty three saying, Depart from me. I think the only way you can describe that when we are separated from God, the same thing that happened with our original parents in the garden, when they became separated from God, they no longer had something called eternal life. When you were you're separated relationally, then we are not full or experiencing what's called eternal life we're actually experiencing the opposite, which is death. And what's interesting is that Scripture, you know, going back to Deuteronomy uh, 30, um, it's, or Deuteronomy 5, Moses is always putting before the people, hey, choose you this day between life and death, See, between good and evil, but life and death. Um, Deuteronomy 5, he says, walk in his ways, in other words, obey his command, that you may, you may live 
See, the issue isn't heaven and hell or transportation to those places. Is there a heaven? Of course there's a heaven. Uh, are you anti-heaven? No, I love heaven. I want to go to heaven when I die. Um, but I don't want to stay there. I think I'm, we're supposed to come back with Jesus to uh, reoccupy the earth and rule and reign per the original instructions in Genesis 1 and 2. But heaven is wonderful. But, it, but notice the options when God talks about you choosing what you're going to commit yourself to. It's usually talking about not heaven versus hell. It's not a location issue. It's more of a life and death. And that's why these definitions of what is eternal life is so crucial. When it says choose you this day, the choice is between life, knowing God relationally deeply, or death, which is separation from God. Okay, so let's go over. We talked briefly last week about how do we know that we know God? And we talked about the one, two, three, four, and um, that was the easy way of remembering. One, two, three, four. Just say those four numbers. First John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because this is a little bit of review, but basically it says this is how you know that you know him if we keep his commandments. Wow. So knowing God is eternal life, but how do we know that we know God? And the and the first John two verses three and four says, if you keep his commandments. Well, isn't that John twelve fifty also? And this is the command of my of my father. The command of my father is eternal life. See the connection there. Okay. Going uh over to the gospel, John fourteen fifteen, uh, Jesus lays it out. Um, if you want experiencing a relationship with me, if you love me, it's a contingency. You know, we preach a lot about unconditional love, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, when you use the little two letters in this word, <laughs> it's called if, that is the opener to say this is a condition, and it depends on how we react. We we have a free will choice. We get to select but isn't it interesting, John fourteen fifteen, the gospel, John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my, keep my commandments. That's the measuring rod of whether there's a relationship going on here. That's a, that's a good way to use it. Um, keeping his, his law, keeping his commandments, keeping his word um, is really a, like a measuring rod, if you will, to test the depth and the strength and the authenticity of us claiming that we have a relationship of love with God and therefore we have eternal life. God says, hey, it's one thing to say it, but let's talk about action. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about uh, follow-up with um, proof, if you will. Look at John fourteen twenty one. 21. Um, if you keep my commandments, you will be loved by my Father, and, um, and basically, Jesus says, and he, Jesus, will manifest himself to us, okay, if we, if we keep his commandments. And then John fourteen twenty three says, if you love me, keep my word. Well, word is just another word for commandments. Um, but if you do, again, contingent, if you do, my father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Boy, that's the ultimate relationship when we start really understanding the fall feasts of the appointed times of of um, the feasts of Israel um, that is talking about intimacy at a level that we really need to experience and we don't teach it because we're saying it's all about transportation and let's get out of here and write off the your inheritance of earth and just you know, go to uh, the ethos, and Satan celebrates that when we when we get off target and we lose our focus. Celebrate, he Satan celebrates it because he says good, because he always wanted the earth. He always wanted to have our authority to rule and reign over the earth. And if we get distracted, which is unfortunately, when this Hebrew gospel got influenced to be a Greek. Um, a Greek paradigm, 
uh, things got really distorted. We're going to be talking about that in the future. You know, is the gospel, is the, is the good news of the kingdom, is it a Hebrew circular cyclical story or is it more of a Greek linear type of story? You know, there's, that's, that's a whole other topic, but I'll just introduce it a little bit here. But, but the goal of this deep relationship in John fourteen twenty three, if we keep um, Yeshua, if we keep Jesus' word, Father God will love us. Okay, now that goes back to what's eternal life. John seventeen three is that they will, this is eternal life, that they will know you, the one true God. So the, if we keep the commandments, Father God will love us in John 14, 3, um, 23. And we, plural, notice this is plural, we, just as Jesus talking, we, Father God and Jesus will come and make their home with us. That is deep relationship. To say, I'm not just going to say, come aside with me. This is Revelation chapter 3, uh, when Jesus is knocking on the door of our heart. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my knock, he will come and open, and I will come into him, listen, and dine with him and him with me. Okay? That's intimacy. That's relationship. Jesus entering in and and saying, I am one with you. You are one with me. And as such, he says, I am going to bring you to the Father so that in John 17... 20 and 21, that they may be one, Father. We and you, you and us. And it talks about, and you know what, I'm going to read it because that is so powerful. And this is actually the fall feast that we're going into, which is Sukkot, which is all about building um, dwelling places. They're called Sukkot. Listen to this. John seventeen twenty. this is Jesus talking the last night before he dies. And I, not, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that these and those, the these are the, the Jewish apostles, but also the those of the Gentiles who are coming later who are going to believe in Yeshua, in Jesus, through the word of the Jewish apostles. And notice where this is going in John seventeen twenty one that they... All may be one. See the unity here and the intimacy and the relational connection? That they all may be one. As you, Father, are, notice, Jesus is, Jesus is talking, red letter edition, that you, Father, are in me. He didn't say with me. That you are in me and I in you. So that's Jesus talking to Abba, Father. Av, Avinu, our Father. Now notice that they may also be one in us. Who's the they? Well, the two groups of people that he prayed for, both Jew and Gentile. That they may also be one, didn't say with us, it says in us. Now, to what end? Why are we talking this intimacy? Why are we talking this deep relationship? The whole point is that it says, so that the world may believe that you sent me. In other words, all of this intimate relationship, being in the image and likeness of God, as we see in the first two chapters of Genesis, it's all to present a testimony, a witness, if you will, to the rest of the world to say, these are members of the divine family, and this divine family does not deal on the periphery. This divine family talks about life, eternal life, is relationally and profoundly knowing the Father and Jesus Christ, the Son whom he sent. To what point? To one point, to basically present ourselves as witnesses and of living sacrifices, proving what the perfect will of God is by keeping his commandments and saying, we are of a divine family. We are children of the Most High God. Join us next time, and we are going to just 
to discover more this whole issue of eternal life. Until next time, may God richly bless you. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal his simple truth moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Did you know that the Simple Truth Moment Show features a website where you can access previous podcasts of the Simple Truth Moment Show? Also, previous radio shows, sermons, lectures, sponsored events, books, and publications, along with the blogs by the author and broadcaster, Reverend Earl Clampett of the Simple Truth Moment Show. Just type in www.simpletruthministries.net and click onto the media page and the book publications page. You will learn so much more on how the kingdom of God ways are impacting our current Gentile church culture to rediscover our Hebrew covenant roots and God's blueprint plans to bring together both Jew and Gentile into one new humanity in Messiah Jesus and Father God. It will be a life-changing journey you will not soon forget. So type in www.simpletruthministries.net. It's not .org. It's not .com. Remember, .net. God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.